I'm going to take a couple deep breaths and look at you. You take a couple deep breaths and look at me. Uh, it's good to be with you today. Um, I, will, I will say this and then I will get right to my task. I, I got confused because Pradeep was in church and um, I thought I came to the wrong place. It's been a while since I've been here for Sunday service, and uh, some of you, some of you know Pradeep. I met him, and I've never seen him in church when I've preached. And so, um, uh, so, so, so here's the thing, Dan. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I know, I know that Pradeep was in church one time when I preached, and by singling him out, I am saying hello to all of you who I should say individually hello to. Um, he, was, he was in church one time when I preached, I officiated his wedding, and I think that was the, that was the last time I'm sure I saw him. So, and I, I don't know if he wanted to be there, or I know he wanted to be there, let me say that right. Yeah, he wanted to be there, but I don't know if he wanted me to preach, you know, so. Um, do I have to stay here? Uh, okay, I just, I need to know what I can break and where I can move and this kind of thing. And so I, I, can, I can do whatever I want, Emily says. Thank you. Um, you, have heard, you have heard the word of God read. And I want to just give you just a moment uh, to, to hear that again. So if you'll just place those scriptures back up or to see that scripture again and slowly go back through it and uh, we'll just have one moment of quiet and then I'll say more. It's a long text. Holy Spirit, there is so much in the word for us. And help us. Help us to listen to what you have to say. And we're all individuals. We need different things from the folks down the row or in the other pew. And we are here together and we need to hear from you together. So do what you do and help us. Amen. So Advent, as you know, as you heard Brother Tim preach last time, is the liturgical name for the time when Jesus, when Christians, I'm, I'm surely going to break my neck if I stay here, and I don't want to break anything, so I'm just going to do that. I'm already nervous because I'm here with y'all, and so I, 
I got a contract with the space, as they told me in my preaching class way back, you know, in the, um, Christians intentionally reflect on the coming of Jesus, that first arrival, and then look forward to that return of Jesus. And and so I'm going to talk with you today, next week, and the one after about traveling through Advent and, and, and particularly Advent traveling companions who we might take with us through this season where we look forward to the return of Jesus, some of us, or we look forward to the coming of Jesus in aspects of our lives. Advent is a period of looking for Jesus in particular, but it is also a time when followers of Jesus wait upon whatever it is that God is doing. In the, in the early churches, it was, as Brother Tim preached, it was a time of waiting for the coming one. It, it was a time of anticipating Jesus who would save God's people. Now, though, having behind us his, his glory that is full of grace and truth, Advent becomes a time where we simply wait. It is the launch of the Christian year, and it initiates what's also known commonly as uh, the Christmas season or epiphany, which is actually the time of Christ's appearing. So the commercial and common Christmas season, as you know, is not the Christian Christmas season. It's Advent. Christmas season is after Christmas. After the appearing, those, those days after the 25th, his appearing, his season of epiphany, those eight days, and then we have a whole nother season of ordinary time, Lent, Easter, and more ordinary time. Advent always falls around the same time each year, but life is not like the liturgical calendar, is it? In real life, we can't wait to hope, we can't wait to wait, we can't wait to pray. In real life, in our lives, in our calendars, we have new experiences that surprise us. We have births, we have deaths, we have times of joy, we have grief and adversaries, we have aches and pains, it's the kinds you see and the kinds you cannot We have our own calendar days, and on those calendars are times we will never forget and days we hope to forget. We have defining moments and utter 
Life calendars are different from liturgical calendars. And yet there is a way in which the liturgical calendar or the church calendar can relate to our life calendars. The liturgical time can orient us to our own lives. When I'm thinking about the liturgical time, and I'm like Tim, I did not grow up with the word Advent or the Latin or the Greek. I didn't grow up with these languages. But when I, when I think about the liturgical time, it helps me see the bigger picture helps me spot the longer time, even locate my own autobiographical African sensibilities around time where, where more than my small views and my tiny frames are at play. Advent in particular can aid us in remembering Jesus, in, in trying to keep Jesus connected to the less lavish ways that grace finds us and meets us and makes us and changes us. And so this morning, and I'm introducing the three times I will talk to you here, and, and, and I'll get to what I'm really, really trying to do today, but what I'm, what I'm purposing to do over these three uh, preaching opportunities is, 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 is to, to think about how the liturgical calendar meets our life I am aware that God in Christ must be with us in these moments called life today. I am aware that me and you, that we are awaiting people and a hoping people and a praying people. We, though, are not waiting or hoping or praying for a baby Jesus. We, we need a fully grown Jesus. For the real world concerns of this city, we need an old Jesus. We, we don't need a crawling Jesus for the issues in our families. We need a capable Jesus. We, we need a walking Jesus, a jogging Jesus, a bill-paying Jesus. We need a Jesus with some street credibility. We need Jesus well past the manger. The question is not will God come or will God with us or will God emerge or will God visit or will God show. The question is really how in the meantime. The question is, how do we posture ourselves as we, uh, uh, posture ourselves to be ready and active participants who have to wait? How do we pray while we wait? How do we serve while we wait? How do we praise while we wait? We know God will come, most of us. We know God will visit, so says our faith. We know God will return, that is our blessed hope. But in between now and then, what does waiting look like? 
How does waiting feel in the skins of people who have been waiting for ages already and who have been waiting and had their hopes dashed or who have been waiting and received something unexpected in response from those divine hands and that divine heart? How do you wait when you ask God for the thing and when the king thing came, it wasn't the thing? Now, I'm taking a particular approach this morning, I, I am lifting up a, 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 an interpretive move today, next time, and the time after, where rather than, for, this is where you might call me a heretic, so pay real close attention if you've been asleep, nudge your person next to you, say, he wants you to pay attention now, just, just nudge him, don't sneeze, don't cough, just, you know, nudge him. Rather than focus these messages, say, directly on Jesus. I'm routing through the lives of persons mentioned in Jesus' story. Sometimes the church tries to pay attention to Jesus with, without paying attention to Jesus' people. So, so today, next time, and the time after, my hope is that we will hear the word of God and deal with each other as if God resides in us, as if God lives in God's people. And, and this is a risk because you don't know me uh, to be Baptist if I don't get Baptist and go back to Calvary in the sermon. You, you don't know me to be Pentecostal. You know, you know I'm a covenant pastor and you're wondering. Some of you know my Baptocostal sensibilities, but you haven't seen me in a while. So, you know, you're trying to think, is he the same as he was? And, and you know, is he going to talk about this or Jesus? And, and I'm not going to talk about Jesus, but I'm going to talk about Jesus. And you're going to have to stay with me as I don't talk about Jesus, but talk about Jesus. I assume the presence of Jesus in the lives of these persons who we will sit with and that will be our role of models as we walk the path of Advent these weeks. I, I assume the presence of God in these lived lives who up to the moments in their lives did not have Jesus. They anticipated him, but he wasn't born. They desired his coming, but he hadn't come. So that the focus on God in Christ would be applied well by focusing upon those who lived their own advent. So I invite you to lean with me into a reconstructed memory of persons who did not have Jesus. There are places in your life where you don't have. Jesus. There are places in my life that seem godless. Places in your life where you walk through uh, what seems to be a split from the nearness of Jesus. Your own anticipation of him, your own desire for his coming. Think of those places this those places this week. Those places where these can shed light where they can offer light. These, these places where when you are alone with your pain, you wonder if God really will emerge. 
the places where when you try to pray and try to listen and try to seek, your soul anguishes in fear that maybe God will not. Those are the waiting places where our guides, led by the Spirit, can shuttle us gently through the centuries back to a basic faith that doesn't see Jesus but knows he will come. God comes in the waiting of others, even as they waited upon Jesus. And the same God will come to us in our waiting. So, so, so I, I won't lock in on Jesus. If I'm locking in on something, it is the non-presence of Jesus. The not yet presence of God. The near but not near enough one who is mentioned but who's still taking his sweet time to arrive. I want to frame these messages, these three persons as traveling companions and, and hold them up to suggest that their lives and our wonderings about their lives can serve us during our waiting and hoping and praying. You'll have to connect this with Jesus. That's where you pray after the sermon. Question, am I messing up? Is this am I okay? It's in my sweat. I can't take it off. If I start taking clothes off, they won't let me come back. Okay. Huh? Right here. That better? Okay. Let's welcome them. Let's be open to God through these companions. They are Elizabeth today, Joseph, and Mary. Although last night I thought maybe Gabriel was trying to elbow into this. They told me I have 30 to 40 minutes. It takes me about 50 minutes to know what 40 feels like. So I need like nine of y'all to tell me at different points to preach. Because that's going to really throw me. Because then I'll know I better shut up. Because people are talking back. See, that's a joke. You don't know. I'm joking with you. Dad, you know I'm joking. Wendy, you know I'm, you know I'm joking, right? They don't know. So I need you to be one of the nine. Tell me to preach especially if I mess up, because then I'll know. Let me get it correct. We learn in the passage that Elizabeth is the wife of Zechariah and the cousin of Mary. Now, these are important relationships in her life. She frankly these folks longer than she would be as far as the text goes with this relationship mother. There is a big deal in this text about her age. 
She was probably married for a while to Zechariah. She was the cousin of Mary all of Mary's life, which was between 12 and 14 years. So so she had a history as a cousin and, and as a wife. Elizabeth wanted to be a mother, as you heard in the passage. The text says that she was disgraced at not being a mother. We learn that she became pregnant and that she went into seclusion after perhaps learning of her pregnancy. And the text connects her going into hiding with the pregnancy. The Bible says that the praise on her lips is how kind the Lord is. So so we see and we will see later that Elizabeth's time with God in seclusion does not stay private. That that what happens in that time goes public. We'll, We'll see that later. What kind of companion might Elizabeth be? I think she has ways of being that some of us can attend to and learn from and aspire to as as we search for God in our own travels. I'll say three things about her. The first one has to do with growth. Say the word growth. Yes. And when this black preacher asks you to say something, you got to say it. So one more time, that was the practice round. That was rehearsal. They didn't invite me for rehearsal, but this is sound check and rehearsal. Say the word growth. Grow. Yes. Oh. Elizabeth is a companion for us when the body ages and betrays. Now, to be clear, growth is not necessarily time-bound. See, you can get older and not grow. You can serve and not grow. You can sing and not grow. You can even pray and not grow. Elizabeth was already advanced in her days. That means she was older than the common age for what she and her boo were doing or trying to accomplish. Now, y'all blessed the babies and they left, but don't make my mic go out now. I need you to give me good sound now because I need to survey how many children are still in the room because, huh? There are some, praise the Lord, amen. Let me just, <laughs> give me a pen, let me just scratch out this, give, no. Um, so, so now, now have you, have you, thank you, have you ever experienced wanting something from God, but it was past your time? Have you ever aimed at a thing that you knew was just out of reach? I think Elizabeth is showing us how to grow into the things that are beyond us, but not God. I think of Elizabeth as being for the outdated, 
the, for the expired, the aged, and the overseasoned. She shows us growth. Now, now, Scripture says that she was disgraced. You don't get disgraced with what you do privately. Disgraced is a social thing. You may be ashamed, but, but to be disgraced is a social matter. It takes people to be disgraced. And, 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 and I've met one or two women in my life. I've met a number of you all. And I know without studying it that when a woman is disgraced, you can be sure she has tried everything to deal with the social dynamic. Have you met a woman? Have you? Anybody ever? Yes, you've met yourself, some of you, right? So, so in... Yes, I might have to come out of my sweater. Here is Elizabeth, and we know because the Bible says she is disgraced, and the Bible says that she is, is, is praying, and that she and her husband return to this matter of wanting to be a parent, um, that she is working as hard as she can, trying to deal with this disgrace, trying to get what she has asked God for. I'm talking on this point about growth. Here's the thing. Uh, Zachariah was the priest. Zachariah and Elizabeth are at home, but Zachariah goes to the time of service in the temple. And I have no qualms with the minister. I am a minister. But Elizabeth doesn't get to leave her Home when she had to, to locate within that home the blessing she prayed for. She had to remain in the space where she tried to conceive what only God could grant. Imagine Zechariah going to do the priestly thing, leaving the place of home where Elizabeth stayed. <clears throat> she had to stay when he left. Elizabeth stuck in her own body, in her age physicality, and all the questions that rise when her body doesn't do what she thought it would. She had to live in herself when, when, when what she knew never came. Now, I know we love the part to say John came, but all those days, circles or clocks going around or cycles, if you will, were when John hadn't come and Elizabeth couldn't go to temple. When you're able to do what Elizabeth did, while other people host the more obvious expressions of the sacred, like going to church, you're really meeting 
the spiritual depths. When you can sit in the room where you prayed and then as my pastor growing up would say, where you even participated in the project and still not get what you prayed for, that means you're meeting spiritual maturity. When you can sit alone at the same table where you and your spouse ask God for the thing that still isn't there, now, now it's you and God only where you get to just talk to God without the preacher being in the room. You're moving into the depths of growth. I thought we'd have this figured out by now. I've been here all these years and I still struggle with this. My small group, y'all call them community groups, y'all call them spiritual life groups. What y'all call them now? All the groups. Been talking about this, fasting with me over this again and again. We've given ourselves over to this work and we're still praying about this like we did from the beginning. My family and the other families are still waiting and waiting and waiting. Elizabeth in the staying guides us to mature trust. Lord, help me. Number two. She was married to a priest. She was a minister's wife, and she, as the Bible says, was barren. So Zechariah comes home after the tent revival, and uh, <laughs> Zechariah and Elizabeth made John. I like to say it this way. I think this is fine. I think it's okay to say they made love. How many parents here? Aren't your children love? Somebody made them. If you had a hand in it, raise your hand. You're a parent. <laughs> Don't you deny your children now today in the back. You better raise your... Somebody made them. Somebody made them children in love. Zechariah and Elizabeth conceive, and Scripture says that Elizabeth conceals herself. I can't even go through all these notes because I'm about to be late with the time. So I'm going to run through. They made love. What happens? Luke 1 before. Verses before. This one that we've come to, the angel told Zechariah that his prayer had been heard. Now, you didn't read that in our hearing, but you've read this in the Bible if you've seen it in the early part of chapter 1. Gabriel told the preacher something in the temple that the Spirit uh, was going to open up his wife's womb, give them what God uh, had been hearing about. And the, the priest heard the angel say, you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. Good way to know how we ought to pray. Is there joy? Is there gladness? Are people rejoicing? Zechariah, Zechariah uh, hears the angel say this, and he doesn't believe the angel. He doesn't believe the angel. And I love what Gabriel says. Gabriel the angel says, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak this to you. So, so the priest gets his speech snatched out of his mouth and he struck 
cannot talk. And this is happening in church while Elizabeth is at home, in my mind, hosting the word of God that is about to shape and form in her life. Unable to talk, the priest goes home and performs needed things with his wife. She notices her new condition and she withdraws. Now, I talked about growth. This is a point about community. I'm dancing all over my notes, so I need to tell you this one is about community. Zechariah comes home and can't talk. The beautiful ministry in many families if somebody comes home and can't talk. I tell you, God will, God will turn things around. God will turn things around. That's what happens in the text. I'm not, I'm not throwing jabs. I'm saying what happens here, Zechariah cannot speak. He comes home and Elizabeth and Zechariah receive God's promise. They enact the joy. They embody the gladness. And she, that's a whole sermon series that Tim White, you ought to preach the embodiment of the gladness. Even in times of silence and quiet, when you can't talk the way you used to, you can still embody joy. She pulls away and conceals things in order to meet gladness. So this is there's growth, there's community. What is community? Sometimes community has words. Sometimes community is the enactment of joy and gladness. Lastly, Elizabeth might show us how to embody joy and community even in relational silences. Uh, she may show us growth. The last thing is patience. Patience. I think Elizabeth is the embodiment, not just of joy and growth, but of waiting well past time to get what she requested. She shows us patience. Patience is an active way of being in the now. Patience is the revered quality of dissatisfied people. It is, it is, it is the character trait of the discontent. The redeemed. It's the quality that helps you deal with the dissatisfaction. And it is a requirement in Advent. I noticed as I was preparing this sermon that I've been drawn over the years to women like Elizabeth and Hannah in the Bible. And, and I think these women can be guides, but, but we don't really promote them widely. Because to promote their spirituality and their way of living out their faith is to be at a cross purpose for those of us who grew up with what the old saints would call a microwavable faith. 
the kind of faith that you ask God for it, and about two and a half minutes later, the thing is ready for you. Uh, Hannah and Elizabeth, they show us, and frankly, any of the women of God in the scriptures who are carrying things that cannot be birthed overnight. I will never, I will never host a child in my body, but I've watched it happen enough to know it takes time, right? And so these are examples for us to slow down and understand what patience really is. It's frustrating. I hate it. It's one of my main issues with God. I don't want it. You don't want it if you're honest. Who wants to wait? Who wants patience? If we can get by without it, it'd be better world, I'm sure. I think Elizabeth's experience is much more convincing I think Elizabeth's overall life with God while she's waiting on her John is a better testimony of what it means to be faithful to God. Now, now, now I won't speak for God. Um, I won't speak for how God was meeting Elizabeth. The thing I think is beautiful in this text is that you know, there are things we don't know. We have no idea what God thought about Elizabeth waiting as long as she did, being barren as long as she was, being disgraced as long as she was, being childless. We don't know. We want to believe that God would have been all on her side, right? We want to stand up for God who is standing up for her. And we might be right about that, but the beautiful thing about the Bible is that we don't have a clue. And, and, and I love to sit with Scripture when we don't have a clue because all the good stuff comes out when we don't have a clue. We make up all kinds. Oh, I should say, I cuss sometimes now. I just thought about it. I better tell you that. I bet not say it today. Wait for the second sermon. Okay. Uh, I cuss before. I just work real hard not to. So I'm just... Um, all preachers need all of their powers. Amen. In Jesus' name. Um, um, we don't know what God thinks about Elizabeth's barrenness. And there's, there's opportunity there. Because Elizabeth didn't tell us, or the man who was writing the text didn't write down her story, which we can get into, and I love the whole gender dynamic of saying, why were you all up in Zachariah's temple conversation with Gabriel, but when it comes to Elizabeth, you don't really tell us a whole lot about what is going on with her. That's, that's for y'all to fool around with. Because what I want to hold is the fact that we don't know. That we don't know what God and Elizabeth had going on in her barren. And the not knowing is the cultivation of patience. The not knowing what God thinks about you or what God thinks about your friend in the midst of what your friend is going through is the cultivation of your waiting and your patience and your waiting and your patience and you're asking God, tell me what you think. And God's saying, I ain't telling you a doggone thing. But I'm, but I'm here. 
God doesn't divulge the details of her life, and God won't divulge the details of yours. And I think that knowledge can train us in our waiting as we wait. Somebody come up and let's pretend like I'm done. Come on up. Come on up. Grace, peace, mercy from God our Father. Everybody, come. You're going to help me sit down. (laughs) What's your name? Sarah. Sarah. Lord, Abraham, Sarah, mercy, grace. I met grace. Somebody told me. I met grace. I'm sorry, Sarah. Don't play yet. Just, just be here and in about 30 seconds start playing. Yeah. Just work with me. Just work with me. I got to deal with Emily when this is over. So I need, we need to just kind of work together. Just, so, so. As we wait, God will not tell others of our true disgraces. And I love the part in the text that is missing. Because we know the social stuff, she was disgraced. But we don't know the interior stuff. The meaning of the disgrace. It's there, but you don't have the details. And we need a guide for that kind of life. Because I want, to be, I want to be socially appropriate. And I don't want to lie to you and tell you I'm going through it. So I'll say something, but you know there's more to it. I imagine Elizabeth now. Let's start. Thank you, Sarah. I imagine Elizabeth as she watches how God doesn't tell the priest who God speaks to. Oh, you won't tell him either. Oh. Well, you can tell him because he can't talk, so go ahead and tell him whatever. You know. Elizabeth doesn't have much here either, right? Luke, Luke has some words for her, and I imagine her revising and editing and saying, you can quote me. No, don't quote that part. Quote this part. How kind the Lord is. She's not overlooking reality. She's framing it. She's not leaving the truth unseen, but actually observing life in light of truth. How kind the Lord is. Maybe this is what she said all along while Luke was meticulously gathering details from other folks. Maybe it's what she said when Zechariah couldn't talk back to her, but God could. Maybe she is not writing a new song, but singing an old one. Maybe it's the refrain of an aged hymn, a 
joyful sound, blessed assurance, some amazing grace. I think Elizabeth has things to teach us, to show us about growth and being in relationship and being patient. So bow your head. I'll stop talking and see if you hear anything else from God. Just a moment.